From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and said, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are, your mind is set on things of earth, not of the divine. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For if you want to save your life, you will lose it. If you want to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Well, I have a confession to make this morning. I love, I love end of the world movies. <laughs> Give me a bin of popcorn and a movie about a worldwide alien invasion or an out of control zombie epidemic, an asteroid on crash course for Earth. A Mayan prophecy prophesying the end of the world in 2012, and I'm happy. Now, Marty doesn't understand this guilty pleasure of mine. She leaves the room. How could she leave the room? She doesn't know if humanity will be saved. Now, I know I'm not the only one here today with this guilty pleasure. I can't be because these movies are crazy popular. Every week, it seems, a new one comes out. A new TV show displaying the, the end of the world as we know it shows up. Now, I'm not naive. I know the acting in these movies is usually, well, always overdone. The premise is far-fetched. And yes, for as many end-of-the-world stories as, they, as there are, and I love them all, they're all pretty much the same. Some unknown thing, fill in the blank, aliens, zombie virus, cyborgs perhaps, the likes of which we never seen, causes global chaos, destruction, and massive death. And humanity, well, humanity has a choice to make. Either they will go on the defensive, hold on tight to what they have, doing whatever they have to do to survive this crisis, and maybe, maybe humanity will continue. Or, or they will go on the offensive, attack the force that threatens in a David and Goliath fight for the future of civilization, flying a nuclear warhead into an alien vessel if they must, risking their life for survival. Now, you may not have known it, but the Gospels, these are end-of-the-world stories. That's why we like them so much, right? Now, 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 you may have thought Revelation was the only such story in the Bible, and it's hard to recognize at first with the lack of zombies and aliens in Scripture. But the Gospels are about the end of the world. This is a critical time in the life of Jews. It's the end of the world as they know it. Their land has been invaded by a foreign empire, Rome. Their way of life is threatened. If they don't do something quick, Judaism will die. So what should they do? Well, 
The religious leaders, they go on the defense. They're the ones that build the bunkers. They find that complex with the high fence and they hoard all the supplies. They bring in the people they can trust. It's a crisis. And if they're going to survive, they got to hold on to what they have, protect themselves, lay down the law, double down on the law if they must, preserve their identity and keep out the outsiders. No risk. Play it safe. The future of civilization as we know it hangs on us. Someone like Jesus shows up. He threatens the whole project. He opens the doors, lets in people who puts everyone else at risk. Something must be done about this Jesus. Now, the disciples, they see things a little differently than these religious leaders And in particular, Peter, they have a completely different way of looking at things. Last week, we heard Jesus praise Peter. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered correctly, you are the Messiah. You're the one who will save us, Jesus. And Jesus praises Peter. He gives him that name, Peter, which means rock. And on a rock like Peter, Jesus can build a church. Peter's the kind of guy you want on your side when it's the end of the world. But moments later, it's been a week since we read it, but for them, it was just seconds that the rock Peter is now called a stumbling block. And Satan, given the very name that we use to personify evil, what caused this drastic change? Well, for Peter and the disciples, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the hero. He's the one who shows up to save the day, to bring victory over Rome. Their mission? Go on the offense. They're the motley crew of renegades in the movies, plotting some far-fetched scheme to defeat the foes. While everyone else says, no, no, protect yourself, they're the ones that charge ahead. In their minds, if Jesus could feed over 5,000 people with just five miracle loaves of bread, what could Jesus do with an army that size? As soon as they're ready to organize the troops, Jesus starts talking about his death. Matthew tells us from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now that's no way to save humanity. That's not how it's supposed to be. Denying yourself that will get you killed. So Peter does what Peter should do. He rebukes Jesus. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And then, Peter, and then Jesus delivers what is known as one of the hardest sayings of Jesus. Hard because what do we do with it? How do we follow this? If anyone want to become my followers, Jesus says, let them deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Self-denial. Now, there's a lot that churches have ignored about Jesus' teaching, but this denying yourself stuff, this churches can do pretty well. Now, we may not think twice about upgrading to that new oversized HDTV at home, 
But get us church folks in a board meeting discussing the budget and we'll pinch every penny. Now, didn't we just buy children's curriculum in 1983? Now, if those sofas were good enough for my great-grandmother who left them to the church 50 years ago, then by golly, they're good enough for me. Now, of course, this pinching pennies mentality, this is what we do to survive. It's a hard time to be church today. It's the end of the world as we know it. The place of church and society has changed. Respect for church has dropped. Attendance has dropped. Giving has dropped. Denominations are in survival mode and many are closing. Congregations, they say over 50 churches close every Sunday. Our way of life is threatened. And what should we do? Well, like every end of the world story, this one is no different. We have two choices. On the one hand, well, we can hold on to what we have. Save as much as we can. No risk, no outsiders. Play it safe. Go on the defense. Preserve our way of life. This happens a lot in churches. Budgets are cut. Ministries are ended. Ministers laid off. Don't do anything to rock the boat. People may leave. We can't afford to offend. We've got to survive. And we'll risk everything, even our mission for the sake of survival. And then on the other hand, there are those who call for us to go on the offense. It's a war. It's a culture war. So let's fight. Let's fight for our place. Demand the church be respected. Demand that religion be returned to the status it once had. Put prayer back in schools. Put Christ back in Christmas. And while the strategy is different, Whether offensive or defensive, one thing about these responses is the same. Both are motivated by a fear of death. Both assume that we're going to die and it's the end of the world. We live in a culture terrified of death. All you need to do is look at what we spend on skincare products, body enhancement surgeries, health insurance. We don't have funerals anymore. That's too dark. We have celebrations of life. They bring a doctor with Ebola to Atlanta for treatment, and everyone goes crazy. We're all going to get Ebola and die. We build a huge wall at the southern border thinking that will make us safe. We go through crazy security protocols because one guy put put a bomb in his shoe, so now everyone takes their shoes off, thinking that may protect us. Because we got to survive. We can't take risk. In offense or defense, we're all terrified of death. But Jesus has a word for us today. And maybe it's good news. There's something much, much worse than dying. Barbara Brown Taylor, the minister, puts it this way. The deep secret of Jesus' hard words for us is that our fear of suffering and death robs us of life. Because fear of death always turns into fear of life, a stingy, cautious way of living that's not living at all. 
the deep secret of Jesus' hard words is that the way to have abundant life is not to save it, but to spend it, to give it away, because life can't be shut up and saved. Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter didn't want Jesus to die. He didn't want Jesus' life to be wasted. All the promise, all that they had been waiting for, gone. But Peter missed it. He missed what Jesus said, and maybe we missed it too. Listen again to how Matthew begins the text. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. You see, Jesus was never talking about death, not his death. Jesus is talking about how he's going to live. It's about resurrection. That's the road Jesus is on. Too often, we never get to that part of life because we're hung up on the suffering and death. We're scared out of our minds, holding on to everything we can, expecting our demise. Suffering and death, well, that's part of being human. We can't avoid it. So stop being scared of death. We will all suffer. We will all die, but not all of us will truly live. Life requires risk. You can't walk out the door in the morning without facing risk. You can't have love without risking heartbreak. You can't have friendship without risking rejection. And yeah, it may be the end of the world, but some things need to end. And Jesus is inviting us to end all that's around us and to enter into a new world. A world that's made of life, where death doesn't have the final say. A world where God would risk becoming human, be putting on flesh, and along with it all the pain and suffering that comes with our humanity. So that we, the people of God, may truly live. Jesus' invitation is for us to follow him. And the path he's on, well, it's not a path that's filled with comfort and makes us all happy. It's a path that goes right through suffering, right through death, that faces our fears and our worries head on. A path that takes us all the way to the cross, but it doesn't stop there. Though the world may end, Jesus' path takes us into the new world, into resurrection and life, and it's not an easy road. You may have to risk it all. Jesus did. But if it's life that you want, then hold on tight. Because if you want to become my followers, Jesus says, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For if you're trying to save your life, you'll lose it every time. But if you give your life away, if you risk it all, you will find true life. Losing your life in order to find it sounds kind of crazy. And it is. But who ever said that following Jesus would make any sense? Amen.